I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. I am back from a not-so-restful vacation or staycation, and I am primed and ready for action. Just because I was on staycation and didn't go anywhere didn't mean that I didn't have anything to do. I built a stone fire pit for my lovely wife Cheryl and acquired some fencing at a ridiculously great price. I'm yet to put the fencing up, but that will happen within the next week or so. I spent Sunday evening organizing my shop and sharpening tools. Monday and Tuesday were a lesson in ultimate frustration as everything I put my hands to met with disastrous results. I ruined about $30 of Prime Sapili attempting to build some tools that I needed for the shop. Additionally, I burned or messed up dinner twice. I did, however, get the yard mown again without blowing the engine on either one of the lawnmowers. Wednesday, I completed the tools that I was attempting to make on Monday and Tuesday. Thursday, I went to a hearing specialist to have my hearing aids adjusted and came home and cleaned my shop. Friday and Saturday were a mad rush to wash and wax the vehicles, dig post holes to set the post for the fencing that I got such a good deal on, and relax a little bit before having to return to work later on Monday. I'm almost glad to go back to work so that I can rest but I've had an enjoyable time off. I got some things accomplished. I spent some time with family and spent some time with God. That's a good week. While I was spending time with God, I was directed to one of my favorite Christian blogs, Renewed Belief. It's a good blog. My son Shane Calicut is the founder and operator of Renewed Belief. Go over to renewedbelief.com, all lowercase. Give Shane a visit. He's a great writer with three books to his credit. He adheres to the Bible without fail and defends the gospel fearlessly. Visit my son Shane at renewedbelief.com. Tell him the old watchman sent you. He'll get a kick out of that. Like I said, I was directed to the blog and the latest post was entitled, When Should a Person Be Labeled a Heretic? Well, to say the least, my curiosity was piqued. I read the article, and I must say, in my humble opinion, he handled the topic very well. I didn't say that he handled the topic in the way that I would have. However, I must say that Shane handled the topic in a sane, responsible, and very Christian-like manner. So I'm going to address this topic from my own perspective as Washington. I was going to borrow some of Shane's thoughts as well as some thoughts from a few others I've gathered over the years. Actually, I was going to steal them and beg forgiveness later. But I'm not going to do that. Theft is theft. And I'm going to abstain from the, that practice. So the questions today are, when should a person be labeled a heretic? What is a heretic? 
Are there any consequences if one is actually a heretic? How should heresies or heretics be handled? Now those four questions provide me enough ammunition that I could talk for about a week. But I don't have a week. I only have about seven or eight pages of text and about 25 to 35 minutes to get some points across. I already have 10 pages of notes, so I'd better get started. I am, however, going to start with the same scripture that Shane started with. Titus chapter 3 verse 10, which reads, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's the English Standard Version. Now, the English Standard Version mentions a person who stirs up division or one who causes division in the body. The New American Standard Bible translates such a person as a facetious person or one attempting to sway others to a certain faction or sect or point of view. The Tree of Life Version, a Messianic Version, calls such a person quarrelsome. However, they all state that such a person is perverse, in sin, and self-condemned. That can't be good. And they all state to have nothing to do with such a person after a second warning. It's two strikes. On the third strike, you're out. That Greek word translated as division, facetious, or quarrelsome is heretikos. I'll get back to that in a moment. So what is it about division, facetiousness, or quarreling that deserves such judgment within the body or out of the body? I'm so happy you asked. Such things have no place within the body of Christ. If divisive action, facetiousness, and quarreling are perverse, sinful, and self-condemning, then by what measures are these things so, and by what measures are these things judged? Well, divisive action, facetious talk, quarreling have many different meanings for many people. That's the problem with English translations or the English language in general. In many instances, the same word may have different meanings or definitions, and any individual may apply whichever definition they choose. It's why I'm not a fan of the Amplified Bible. So how can we know for certain what the intended meaning of a word is. That, my friends, is where context and motives are key in discerning the meaning of Scripture. Context is the king when understanding Scripture. In other words, what was the author's intent and motive? Paul told Timothy that Scriptures were God-inspired, good for teaching, correction, reproving, and training in righteousness. Who wrote the book? The Holy Bible was penned by men under great conviction or guidance of God and the Holy Spirit of the living God. But who was the author of the book? To whom were they writing? For what reason did God have them writing the book? Was God having the book written to reveal himself to man, to document history, to teach a healthy way of living, to correct or reprove someone? Or was the book written for training in righteousness? When was the book written? Where was it written? What was the culture and traditions of the people to whom the book was written? All these things are but a few of the things that should be considered when 
using the text responsibly. Add to those things the circumstances and situations in place during the time the book was written, and you begin to understand that the Bible was written for real people who actually lived in real time, in real places, who faced very real struggles in life much as we do today. When one understands all those things, then one is amply prepared to discern the true meaning of Scripture in its proper context. But what about motive? A man's motives play a tremendous part in how he attempts to understand and apply Scripture in his life and how he teaches Scripture to others. My motive is simply to understand what God said in the Scriptures, apply that to my life, and convey what I have learned to others. And you may ask, isn't that what everyone else does? No, it's not what everyone else does. It's what some do, but those men and women who do are very few in comparison to those who do not. You see, most are concerned with gathering a following. They desire to build large churches. They implement plans. They devise sermons that tickle ears. They work to produce emotional response. In effect, they are marketing a gospel that is not the gospel at all or a flimsy skeleton that resembles the gospel. I will point out that in the Bible, Jesus did not have a marketing plan in effect. He merely presented the gospel in plain terms. The gospel does not need a marketing plan. And I might add that those who do these things do so for their own personal gain. That's not good. That, my friends, is a power trip, exalting or elevating oneself. Remember a few moments ago when I said the Greek word heretikos was translated into division, facetious, or quarrelsome? Well, there's another word, heresis, in the Bible that has similar origins. It is used only once in the Bible that I can find in its meaning, and the results that it provides are lengthy. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. And yes, I'm going to read the whole thing, so let's see what Peter had to say. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed, by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous men while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day in and day out by their lawless deeds. 
Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, who are daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of wrongdoing. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deception as they carouse with you having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgressions, for a mute donkey speaking with voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mists driven by storms for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if they have escaped the defilements of the world by knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Now, if you'll notice in the first verse of that passage, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Take note of that word heresies. That word in Greek is heresis. Heresis means a divisive doctrine that is an error. It is the only time that I can find it in the Bible that a heresy is actually called heresy. As for heretikos in Titus 3.10, it is an attempt to draw others to a faction, a sect, a group that adheres to a heresy. Neither are good. Both are evil and both have consequences. The passage speaks of sensuality that warps the truth. It speaks of exploitation out of greed. In other words, it speaks of taking money from others who follow. It goes on to speak of judgment, a likeness that rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. For if God did not rescue angels who sinned, but cast them into hell, he is just and right to do so for the same of those who mishandle his word. It is said that God rescued Lot 
who was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, and that Lot's soul was tormented by what he heard and saw them doing. I guess LGBTQIA plus missed that passage in their defense of their lifestyles. Peter goes on to say that they are corrupt in their desires, they despise authority, and they are daring and self-willed. Sound like anyone you know? Peter likens them to animals that will be destroyed, like animals. And I'm not going to continue. You get the idea. These are false prophets and teachers that Peter is speaking of specifically. Same can be said throughout the Bible. Consider some of the following. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Or how about 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 through 15? For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Now, that's pretty strong language. And if you're still not convinced, how about Ephesians 5, verse 11? Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Beloved, the list goes on and on. There are nearly a hundred passages that address the false teacher and prophet. The motive seems always to be the same, and as is their judgment. What am I truly talking about? I'm talking about heresy, a maligning of the truth into false hope and understanding for individuals for personal gain. To gather a following and put oneself up on a pedestal because they know more or they're more gifted or they're more anointed than anyone else. Balderdash. Let me give you an example of what's happening. The day has arrived when sound doctrine will not stand. Now I had a dream, and before you fall out of your chair laughing, I beg you to listen. I'm a woodworker, and I love working with wood. And in this dream, I had a piece of wood unlike any wood I have ever seen. It was a dark yellow in color, with dark brown, almost black grain. I'd never seen anything like it until recently. Last week, I trimmed up some trees here about the home place, and one of the trees that I trimmed up was a smoke tree. And if you never heard of a smoke tree, Google it. It's beautiful. Imagine my amazement when I lopped off a large limb, and I saw the heartwood of the tree was a dark, brilliant yellow with dark brown, almost black grain. I have a section of that lamb out in my shop drying out. But in the dream, I had this piece of wood with dark grain. It was rectangular in shape. It had been milled smooth with every face square to the adjacent face. Each opposing face was parallel to the opposite face. It was perfect. I handed this piece of wood to all kinds of people. I handed it to doctors, lawyers, teachers, policemen, drunkards, addicts, and even pastors. And each time they handed the piece of wood back to me, it had become stained, misshapen, out of square, out of parallel, and twisted. 
I'd take the piece of wood in my hands and run my fingers over it, and it would be restored to its original dimensions, shiny, perfect. You see, I was handing them the gospel, and in their hands, it was what they wanted it to be. It was skewed, twisted, splintered, stained. In my hand, it was what it was intended to be. Now, I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I'm not saying that I am so greatly gifted. I'm not saying that I am more anointed. I'm saying that my motives are pure and my heart is set to know God and what God said in the context in which he said it. Here's another example. This example is from the real world, from a real preacher in a real church that is quite large and extremely popular. I cannot find the clip that I saw, so I cannot provide an exact quote, but the statement went along these lines. Jesus did not have to change you. He merely revealed who you were the whole time. That's rubbish. That's heresy. Jesus didn't change me. Receiving Holy Spirit of the living God didn't change me. I pray that it did change me because I was a hellion before I met Jesus. When you meet my Jesus, things change. The old man is buried, and the new man allows me to walk in the newness of life with Christ and in Christ by power of the Holy Spirit. Here's another real-world example. This past Christmas, a well-known preacher with a large red Christmas package bow on his shoulder read Isaiah 9, verse 6 to his congregation. For a child will be born to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then the preacher looked out over his congregation and said, Who is Isaiah talking about? He's talking about us. The government rests on our shoulders. Now what that man read in Isaiah was a prophecy about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. What he said essentially was, We are God's. And guess what? The roar of the crowd cheering was deafening. That, my friends, is heresy. Now, I want to briefly address these heresy hunters that one can find on YouTube. And you may say, Lonnie, isn't that what you do? Don't you hunt heresy? No. I don't hunt heresy. I don't have to hunt when it's in wide open view for all to see. By and large, I convey what God said in his holy word. It's up to you to discern heretical teachings that oppose what God said in proper context. Remember what I said earlier. Context is key, fundamental, and rules the truth of the scriptures. And the motives play an important part in that too. There are those on various platforms that hunt down what they perceive as heresies in the ministries of others. Some call out ministries for abandoning the gospel. Kudos to them, and in cases it is rightly so. However, it has come to my attention that they too are attempting to gather a following through payments via YouTube and followers of whatever platform they are using. Some would say that I do the same thing. Well, I don't. Everything that I've offered is free. Cheryl and I financed the podcast and the Old Watchman website out of our pocket. Never ask anyone for a dime or anything else. Be careful with heresy hunters. 
They may or may not have your best interests at heart. It depends upon their motives. Personally, I don't listen to them anymore. I used to, but I don't need to. All I have to do is look around and listen. I can get my belly full of heresy just doing that. I've attempted to contact the individuals that I've mentioned twice in each instance and got no response. None whatsoever. And I really didn't expect a response either. They're big names who rake in big money. I'm merely a voice crying in the wilderness trying to warn people of impending dangers. You know, I had a pastor tell me one time, Lonnie, you need to market yourself more and build a greater following. You could produce a greater income. My answer, I don't do what I do for income. God has provided for me for over six decades, and I don't believe he has any intention to stop now. If what I do helps one person, just one, then my expenditure in time and funds is worth it. I asked the preacher, would you get up and preach behind the pulpit without a paycheck? In other words, I was asking him if he would preach if it were necessary for him to be bivocational. And his answer was, I'd like to think that I would. His answer was decidedly uncertain. The day has arrived when unrelenting heresy is upon us, as well as the day of unrelenting heresy hunter for hire. Both have their motives, and their judgments are approaching quickly. Be careful who you listen to. A final note. Read and study your Bible. Invest in resources that will help you with Bible study. Cheryl and I have spent thousands of dollars in study resources, and I don't say that to brag. I boast in the Lord for giving us the means to do so. In future episodes, I will discuss those Bible study resources that have been worth the investment and those that I feel as though I've wasted my money. But it is through Bible study, prayer, meditating on Scripture that you will discern the truth in what God said. Then your ears will reject tickling and your money will go where it serves God best. Beware the heresies being presented in these days and keep a watchful eye out for the greed of some of the heresy hunters. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.